In a post-pandemic world, the literacy gaps for the children of Atlanta are staggering, with only 11% of economically disadvantaged students reading professionally by the third grade. How can you help? Lace up your shoes and join the Junior League of Atlanta and Partners, the City of Atlanta's 2023 ATL Year of the Youth, on Saturday, November the 4th at 11 a.m. for the JLA Literacy Walk at the picturesque Westside Park. By participating, you're raising awareness about the city's literacy crisis and supporting JLA in its efforts to make a positive impact toward filling literacy gaps in our community. For listeners of JLA Inside Podcast, we have a promo code just for you. When registering for the 2023 GLA Literacy Walk in Eventbrite, use promo code GLAPOD, that's G-L-A-P-O-D. Secure tickets today and be part of the change. Thank you for listening to this episode of JLA Inside Out. If you have feedback, thoughts, or questions, we would love to hear from you. Please reach out to us at insideout at jlatlanta.org. Hi, and welcome to another episode of JLA's Inside Out Podcast. I'm your host today, Mia Wells, along with Marshall Weeks. Today, we have a truly remarkable guest with us. We have Kathy Blackwell, CEO of Partnerships Against Domestic Violence, or PADV. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Now, for, for those of us, or for those of the audience who are not really familiar with your organization or you, can you give us a little a brief background of what your nonprofit actually does and about yourself? Absolutely. So Partnership Against Domestic Violence started almost 50 years ago, back in 1975. Uh, we had a, our founder, Susan May, saw in the community that there was a need for services for domestic violence survivors. And at the time there were no domestic violence shelters in the state of Georgia at all. And there were barely any in the United States at all. And so Susan May, along with a couple of volunteers decided to use one bed and one crisis line to make a difference in helping survivors of domestic violence. And so almost 50 years later, we're still here doing this work in the community helping over 13,000 survivors each year get what they need services-wise throughout the community. And so we take it as a huge honor to even be able to do this work. We have such a strong legacy of being the first and largest domestic violence agency in the state of Georgia. And we don't take that, that charge lightly. Our mission is to end the crime of domestic violence and empower its survivors. And so everything that we do, every aspect of the work that we get engaged with is connected to our mission statement. And so at PADV, we have two emergency shelters, one covering Gwinnett County and Fulton County. And then we also have legal advocacy services at the Fulton County Courthouse and the Gwinnett County Jail. We have free therapy services that are available to all survivors of domestic violence, not just those who are in our shelters or in our housing programs, but any survivor Mm -hmm. who needs to talk with someone and just try to navigate through such a difficult situation we're here for them. In addition to that, we provide financial assistance, we provide child advocacy services and helping children heal from witnessing domestic violence. And we have four supportive housing programs where we house over 20, over I'm sorry, over 200 families each year with the services that we provide. Now, when it comes to PADV, I came here about eight years ago. When I first moved to Georgia, we moved to Georgia about probably 14 years ago, and I was already in the field of domestic violence 
from another state. I came here from Illinois, from Chicago. And when I first moved to Georgia, that was my first aim. I was looking for an opportunity to work at a domestic violence agency that had such a bold mission statement and really wanted to make waves and do something in the community. And I came across uh, PADV. And I've been here for eight years now, and it's been such a remarkable journey to see these women and, and men and children heal from abusive relationships. It's priceless. Now, you say men. Most times, people always think of domestic violence. They always think of there's always the women. How are your programs helping relate a message that men are also a part of that uh, sensitive group of people who need help for domestic violence? Absolutely. So with within the field of domestic violence, we try to help people understand that although the majority of survivors are women, like grossly are women outnumber men by far across this across our state, right? Mm-hmm. However, there are men who are also in abusive relationships as well. And we recently, well, I can't say recently, probably about about five or six years ago, we started housing men and helping male survivors of domestic violence as well, because we realized that it, domestic violence doesn't have just one face. It's, it's not just one gender, although women outnumber men by far. However, we wanted to make sure that when male survivors come to us and they need shelter or they need legal advocacy services, we need to make sure that we have resources and are able to help that population as well, because there are men who are survivors of domestic violence as well. Do you see uh, in that community of men that need help, do you see most of them were also a part of domestic violence when they were like children or teenagers as well, and they're more susceptible as when they become adult males? Sometimes it it varies. So of course, when someone is raised in an abusive household, especially for boys, they're five times more likely to become an abuser when they're an adult, right? And Mm -hmm. so they have a greater chance of becoming an abuser, whereas men who become survivors of domestic violence who are, you know, on the receiving end of the abuse Sometimes they don't, they didn't necessarily, they weren't necessarily raised in that type of environment. Um, There aren't a lot of studies out there as it relates to male survivors of domestic violence, as it relates to what their childhood experience was like as to how they came about. But when it comes to female survivors of domestic violence, if they're raised up in an abusive household, they're three times more likely to become victims as an adult. And so it it varies. It just depends on the situation. Got it. Okay. So with the the organization's mission, how do you bring about awareness about the issue and engage with the Atlanta community? Absolutely. So we have a, a whole prevention and outreach department that's led by Melissa Arthur. She's our vice president of prevention and outreach. And she has a team of community outreach advocates who go out into the community every day to educate everyone as much as possible about domestic violence, right? Because when it comes to domestic violence, the more we can educate the community, the -hmm. more we can bring these numbers down, right? Because sometimes people just don't know that they're in an abusive relationship. Sometimes people aren't aren't cognizant of of themselves as it relates to abusive behavior. And so we go out to middle schools, high schools, 
college campuses and educate the next generation about dating violence. And then we go to corporations and educate employers about domestic violence in the workplace in the event that they have an employee who is in an abusive relationship, what can they do as an employer to help this survivor move forward with their lives? And so we do as much as we possibly can, um, especially when it comes to events. We have various mm -hmm. tabling events that we attend where we share information, brochures. We welcome people to ask us or corporations who can invite us out to their company to share information. We do um, domestic violence 101. We do domestic violence in the workplace. We do dating violence, educational tools. We do an array of things to get as much information as we possibly can into the hands of the community so that they can be aware of the red flags of domestic violence. And so for example, we actually, we host every year a candlelight visual in honor of those of the lives that have been lost due to domestic violence. This year we have it on a Thursday, October 12th at Primerica in Duluth at the Primerica headquarters where we read off the names of those who have lost their life due to domestic violence over the past year. And in that event, it highlights how there's so many people that are being harmed by domestic violence who may not have even been in that relationship, you know, connected directly to the abuser, but they were indirectly impacted in some sort of way. So the more we can educate people and go out into the community and do this work, we, we, we believe that there's a way that we can get these numbers down. Um, Cause over this past year, over 190 people were killed due to domestic violence. And so when oh, we go wow. out into the community, our hope is that, man, let's get these numbers down. Let's figure this out. What else can we do? What have we not thought of in order to educate the community? Because the more people know, the better they do. Right. I definitely agree with that. So with educating the community about the harshness and the importance of domestic violence protections and advocacy, what are some challenges and obstacles that you've encountered to combat it or just trying to get the message out about helping individuals? I think some of the main issues that we've had is making sure that every courthouse, every police precinct, every community has a joint response effort that's consistent. And so I'll give you an example. There may be one police station where they actually train their officers about domestic violence. So they have us come in and train their officers, oh, whereas okay. some police stations don't. And so mm -hmm. the lack of knowledge can cause very detrimental effects in the event that the officer who's responding to that call is not aware of how dangerous those type of calls are, or they're not aware that sometimes survivors may recant their, you know, the bruises that they may experience or the abuse that they've endured. And so those are some of the obstacles we face where you'll have one community who does one thing and then another one that does something completely opposite. Or even when it comes to um, the political system, not political system, the judicial system, where the judges are deciding to send an abuser to anger management classes instead of family violence intervention programs where they can really learn about how to take ownership of their behavior and do better. And so different things like that can cause obstacles for the work that we do, um, but we work as much as we can closely with the, the, the district attorney's office, as well as the solicitor general's office and the local police departments in our community to help educate as many people as possible about how this 
how the response should be. You would think that judicial systems or even a police force would have just the basic common knowledge about domestic violence and and how important that their training would be to to be involved because I mean like how many calls would you say that a police officer may go on for like a domestic violence call that it, it, it should be I would say fairly often being you know this is such a a, a nationwide issue do you think absolutely however it depends on the level of crime in that particular area right and so uh -huh. we've we've talked to different police precincts and we've actually had a, a precinct tell us that they are not focusing on domestic violence because mm. their gang activity is too high and uh -huh. they don't have the capacity to respond to domestic disputes in comparison to a gang activity situation and mm. i mean and we try to understand that we try to empathize but the issue is that sometimes depending on who the police officer is they may not get that dv call every day it may be another officer or mm -hmm. someone else who may get every every fifth call that comes through but because it's not the main primary focus in front of them sometimes it can be difficult for them to know what to do or how to respond because it's not in their face every day. So like take for example, even, even when it comes to um, survivors, even though we're in this work, PADV, we're in this work every day and we see the ins and outs, the pros and cons of every aspect of each survivor situation, the survivor doesn't know that most abusers don't change, but they're hopeful that their abuser will change, right? Because in their mind, this is an isolated situation. This is what's in front of them right now. They're not aware of the statistical numbers of how survivors normally leave an abusive relationship seven to eight times before they leave for good. They don't know that you know, Georgia is fourth in the nation for homicide, suicide in connection with domestic violence. So wow. they, it's the awareness piece that's missing because people don't know what they don't know. And so like, even with the police officers who are going out to these domestic calls, they may not be aware of how there's certain red flags that let you know that this survivor is in a volatile situation and mm -hmm. how important it is to get her out of this before she's killed. And so we currently work with a, community, a coordinated community response team in Fulton County, where mm -hmm. we are educating the police department and we're connected with the DA's office and we're doing all this work in order to make sure that everyone who's at the table is aware of these red flags and these indicators when they go out on a domestic violence call so they can check that list and if they if any of those indicators are highlighted while they're talking to the survivor then they mm -hmm. know hey this survivor has a greater chance of being killed due to domestic violence than anyone else and so we're, the more we educate people, the better off everyone will be. Um, but those are like the main, the main things that we see. So I'm hearing that like really like awareness is what the main key component is to, to basically saving lives mm -hmm. across the board. What do you think are, if your organization has any specific strategies or resources to recommend to kind of promote and raise awareness about prevention? about against domestic violence? 
So one of the main things that we try to do is connect people to our website to gain more information and encourage employers and faith-based communities to have a policy in place in the event that domestic violence shows up at your door, what should you do? Have something in place. It should not be that this, we wait, we, it should not be that any organization is reactive to the situation, but they're proactively already prepared in the event that domestic violence shows up at their door. And so on our website, we have an array of information. We try to send out social media posts on a regular basis to get the word out, just to educate people about domestic violence as a whole. But the more people put on a, as a priority, even when it comes to educating your own family members about domestic violence, it's important for people to understand that when it comes to domestic violence, these are choices that abusive people are making. These are choices. No one's making them be abusive. This is a mm -hmm. choice. Because when we go home every day, when most of us go home, we all have someone in our house who upsets us in some sort of way or, mm -hmm. or what have you. And we may have thoughts of doing harm to that person. But we check ourselves before we go down this path. We all may have thoughts of doing some, some harm to them or, or cussing them out or saying, you know, saying something harsh to that person. Mm -hmm. But these are choices and we don't have to go down that path. We choose every day to show love and compassion to the people we say we love. And the more we can get the community to understand that anyone, any one of us could go down this path of being abusive. Mm -hmm the better off we are when we are aware of how easy someone could go down this path. Yeah. I mean, it always, like me and my sister, we always look at this movie called Enough um, by Jennifer Lopez. But yeah. in hindsight, um, we have family members that were a part of a domestic violence situation from a personal standpoint like you said you don't you don't really look at something until you in it and then years later we saw that movie and we were like oh wow we didn't even pick up on the signs mm -hmm. of domestic violence because we didn't see it every day you know we didn't grow up in a household with domestic violence so like a person like myself who like what are some signs that like a person maybe trying to tell you or you can you can look up on to see like oh maybe this person needs help and they don't know how to ask for it. like what would you what, what what would you suggest so there are a couple of red flags let's say for example if it's a close friend right mm -hmm. you have a close friend who maybe she doesn't have visible bruises or if she is getting physically abused, she may make excuses for, you know, the bruise that's on her arm or, you know, there may be an appearance of extra makeup on her face than more than usual if it's if she's enduring physical abuse. But let's say she's not enduring physical abuse and it's just, it's it's verbal. Sometimes when people are enduring verbal abuse, they make comments about themselves that they didn't put there themselves. Someone told them that. So they'll make comments about, yeah, I'm not pretty enough or, you know, yeah, I can't, I can't do that. And it's not necessarily low self-esteem, but someone has been telling them they can't do this and they, they aren't pretty enough or they're not smart enough. We see that every day with survivors in the shelters where they'll say stuff like, you know, I'm not a good parent. And it's like, well, who told you that? Where'd that come from? And normally it came from the abusive relationship that they were in because the abuser would say those things to them. 
planting and so there's little yeah there's plant they're planting these seeds of negativity and the survivor once you once you get into a relationship where someone is constantly sowing negativity into you every day mm -hmm. it starts becoming a part of you you start repeating the same words that you heard that I can't do this by myself I can't raise my kids on my own I'll never get a good job different things like that and so those are some red flag indicators and then um, another component is if you have that friend who always has to check in with their significant other all the time, like if y'all are going out or or um, you're you may be taking a, a stroll through the park and their their partner is constantly needing to be in contact with them for no given reason or they feel they feel scared to not respond to that text or answer that phone immediately when that person calls. Those are a little bit of indicators, right? And some of these things are are quote unquote normal for folks where they're like, oh, you know, yeah, my spouse calls me, I'm going to answer or, or, you know, that's just the norm of how they operate. But there are times right. where when people are in abusive relationships, it's almost like a level of fear. If I don't answer this call, oh, God. if I don't respond to this text, you know, there's, there's a difference between respecting the part, your, your significant other versus mm -hmm. fearing your significant other. There's a complete total difference between the two. So, I, for example, I love my husband. He's great, <laughs> great guy. Um, <laughs> but I know if I send him the voicemail, it's not the end of the world. I'm not fearful. I'm not timid that, oh, my gosh, let me answer this text because he's called. No, I'm, if I'm in a meeting, he knows I'm in a meeting, vice versa. We both mutually respect each other in that sense. Mm -hmm. And so there's a level, there's a difference between respecting someone versus being in a fearful position with them. So God, those yeah. are all red flag, red flag indicators. There's a plethora of a lot more, but those are some of the brief indicators where you know something's something's off. Okay. Yeah, because you know, in, in most situations you get these, like for instance, teenagers, they're starting relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, and usually they'll mimic what's in their house. So, you know, some kids come from two parents. A lot of kids are in single, you know, mother, father homes. So they may not know what a healthy love relationship may be. Um, and these signs are definitely something that even teenage teenagers or kids can can recognize and, and kind yeah. of grip. How do you, how, does your organization proactively educate middle school or, or, or elementary uh -huh. school kids about domestic violence as well? Absolutely. So we, every year we have a teen summit. It's normally mm -hmm. in February during um, Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month. Okay. Where we, we bring over, a, last year was over 150 children from across the state to this event. Wow. Uh, to educate them about just, not just, not even just domestic violence, but sexual assault and all these different elements. So that that way, if they ever find themselves in a difficult relationship or an abusive relationship, they know about all these different programs in the area that can help them in some sort of way. And then in addition to that, we have a partnership with the juvenile justice system okay. in DeKalb County, where we go out and do um, eight-week seminars that focus on healthy relationships. So we're educating every, every eight, it's an eight-week segment. It breaks for two weeks, and then we go in another eight weeks with a whole other group of kids. And we go in and educate them about healthy relationships and what does that look like? Because if, like you said, if people are not 
in a healthy environment themselves, or if there isn't a, a healthy example on television, because there aren't that many right now, especially, True. <laughs> someone needs to help them know what a healthy relationship looks like. So they can be mindful of boundaries and accepting someone's no and dealing with rejection. Because a yes. lot of abusers, especially especially teenagers who are in abusive relationships, they have such a hard time dealing with the word no. If someone says, hey, I don't want to be your friend or I don't want to be in a relationship with you, it's like deal with rejection. That's a part of life. There's going to be one person that says, hey, I don't like you. And you need mm -hmm. to be okay with that. Not go to the place where if you can't have her, no one can. And then take your life in the process because this relationship is now over. So it's, we do go out as much as possible to educate the next generation. We do have a, we currently have a um, healthy friendships um, after school program. It's in its pilot year, uh, but uh, we're, we, we just recently launched that at one of the local, local middle schools. But then we also go to the high schools that are out in Atlanta and in a community on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. We educate them about dating violence as well. That sounds like an amazing program. It almost kind of to me mimics like a, a dare program that I used to go to when I was. Yes, younger. right. Uh, it does, and I honestly I tell people I'm so I'm such a success story for that <laughs> for that program. <laughs> um, exactly. But also, it you know I don't think honestly today like even the television programming, kids today don't have that view of healthy friendships either. Mm -hmm. Like I'm such a increase of bullying not just in school in person but also I think it's like escalated to even cyberbullying has been like a huge deal since you know the introduction of social media um how do you help kids or even young adults navigate domestic violence when they have such a everybody's looking at you on social presence like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that I think sometimes can be like even dulling to the nerve or even like masking this perfect picture of what I have to be because everybody's looking at me how do you help combat that we try to do as much as possible when it comes to working with the youth educating them about being able to love themselves and love not compare themselves to others on social media because this is it's, it's very toxic like the example yeah. you were giving are, are spot on it's very toxic space and so one thing that we try to do when it comes to working with teenagers and working with um preteens and adults is encouraging them to figure out a way how can i love myself and despite anyone else's opinion of me because opinions come and go and there always be someone out there who has something to say, but right. how can I value myself? What can I do to positively lift myself up instead of comparing myself to others? And so we encourage people to take those, you know, social media breaks when they need to mm -hmm. uh, or break away because that it, it is, we are living in a different day. And so one thing when it comes to our healthy friendship after school club is we educate them about how to go about being true to yourself 
even if you have friends that have different views and values from you, how do you go about still holding on to the values that you have, that your family raised you with? How do you still hold on to those, even if someone else has a difference of opinion, right? Because when you look at the counties that we live in, they're very diverse, they're very different. Everyone has a different viewpoint in some sort of way. And so we try to encourage people to hold on to your truth because someone else's opinion will come and go, but you need to be able to be true to yourself, no matter mm -hmm. what is on social media or what's going on. And someone else's opinion of you does not define you. And we say that same thing to survivors when the when they have abusers who are still texting them while they're in shelter, they're trying to move forward with their lives. It's like, his words don't define you. And so mm -hmm. even in our shelter, we have uh, positive affirmations on the walls and in different places throughout on the mirrors and in their in their bedrooms and on in their um on their vanity suites and it says stuff like I am beautiful I am strong I am confident I'm a great mom you know different things like that because social media and the people in this world who are against you mm -hmm. will ha always have an opinion Always. in some shape, way, form, or fashion. <laughs> and we we try to encourage people as much as possible, even those that aren't in, in a victim situation or, or a survivor of domestic violence. But before you even get there, especially with the, with the youth, we want you to be able to affirm yourself. Can you say, I'm strong, I am beautiful? Can you confess that over yourself and not wait for someone else's opinion to confirm that for you? And so that's one approach that we take in helping helping people combat that. That sounds amazing. I actually I was um perusing the website um today because I being a Julie League of Atlanta member, you know, we get to we have these wonderful partnerships with community nonprofits and leaders like yourself. And I went on there, I'm like, I wonder if I can volunteer if I can volunteer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how can how can like other people who are not a part of Julie just just if they just want to just volunteer their time, but may not have a set schedule, but just want to do something, what can they do to help your organization's mission? Absolutely, absolutely. They can do a couple of things. One is um, if they're on social media, they can always reshare our posts within their own network. That's always very helpful of helping us get in front of people that aren't connected to us or don't even know we're here. Mm -hmm. Another thing is uh, on our website, we do have a volunteer um, tab where people can sign up to volunteer like one time if they want to. They don't have to commit to an extensive time frame to be with us. They could come and help in our clothing boutique. We have two clothing boutiques at both of our shelters that always need an update of some sort. <laughs> we have, they're like a little mini store. And so we, we get a new clothes in, we got to purge old clothes out and different things like that. So we welcome mm -hmm. that. And then we also welcome people to come and volunteer and bring in meals. Like if they want to serve dinner on a particular night, I mean, our clients, I don't know who doesn't love having dinner already ready for you when you come home. I mean, but, our clients hey. love that. <laughs> we love love everyone that. loves that, right? I don't love that. <laughs> already done, right? And so different things like that, but we also welcome creative ideas. So there's been corporations, like we just had one, one company come out recently and they wanted to redo the playroom at our Fulton oh. show. And we said, what's your plan? What do you think? What do you want to do? And they were like, we want to do this, that. And like they came in, they repainted, they brought in new toys, they brought in new fixtures and just made it just this beautiful Amazing. space. And I was just like, oh my, oh my goodness. So different things like that, we welcome, we welcome all of that. And even with um, 
this upcoming year, we have two events. We have a trunk or treat coming up and we also <laughs> have a breakfast with Santa event. And so oh, okay. we welcome people to come and volunteer at those events if they're interested and just, just going to our website and sending an email out to our volunteer coordinator. Um, mm -hmm. You can even email volunteer at padv.org and that will go directly to our volunteer coordinator and she'll reach back out and get things connected. If, if people are interested in joining us, we welcome that. Wow, that, that does sound amazing. And um, I am going to donate some of my time because like I said, I've had people very close to me, a part of um, domestic violence issues that was unaware of me, to me until it, it got to a point where it was uh, too visible not to ignore. So mm -hmm. this is uh, a topic of conversation that I'm always very close with. So, uh, well, I enjoy talking to you and learning more about your organization. And thank you so much for uh, giving us your time today to just speak on something that you are very passionate about and um, and the community needs this organization more than most people realize because it's sometimes can be an ugly truth, but something that needs definitely mm -hmm. more exposure. Um, is there anything you want to share about any future projects or uh, your fight against any initiatives for domestic violence before we go? Absolutely. So currently, right now, uh, in the state of Georgia, we our state does not have a set budget for domestic violence services across the state. Wow. Currently, we get most of our money from the federal government, and that's for all DV agencies, right? And so that pot of money has dropped down drastically over the past couple of years. And so right now in the state of Georgia, there is a $44 million gap, budget gap, to provide services and help um, domestic violence agencies and sexual assault centers do the work that they need to do. And so if anyone is connected to any of our officials in the community or anyone at the House or the Senate who can continue to vouch for us and help us figure out a way that domestic violence agencies can be added as a, a part of the Georgia budget, because there's money there. We did find out there is money available, um, but we need to make sure that domestic violence services are prioritized in the state of Georgia because our numbers are so outrageous that mm -hmm. we need to do something um, in this state for survivors. All right, people helping people. That's that's yes. exactly what we need. But Katha, thank you so much today. I do appreciate you, uh, you coming on and hopefully we'll meet offline once I, I get my volunteering set up. <laughs> <laughs> part of the organization um but just to let everybody know the dream league of atlanta is a dynamic organization of women who are committed to making a lasting and transformative impact on our community we de develop and train members to become informed volunteers who take unique target service opportunities as a diverse group of women we live work and play in atlanta and we believe the community involvement will be the largest impact with over 100 years of service, we will we are hard pressed to find the organization in Atlanta that has been more impacted by women of the Energy League of Atlanta. Kathleen, again, thank you for coming by. We appreciate you. Um, and we look forward to having you on again sometime. Well, thank you so much. I, I greatly appreciate the opportunity to share this information. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of JLA Inside Out. If you have feedback, thoughts, or questions, we would love to hear from you. Please reach out to us at insideout at jlatlanta.org.